Welcome to the One Life Podcast, where we have rare but vital conversations about Jesus. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the One Life Podcast. One Life is a startup church here in Nashville, Tennessee. Our mission is to build extended families of disciples that live on mission together. I am Tiffany Ketchum, and here with me is my husband and co-host, Tim hey, Ketchum. Hey, everybody. <laughs> Interrupting, Tim. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Thank you for listening. This episode, we are on the very end of a series, a 10-part well, it's going to be an 11-part series. Mm-hmm. Maybe we need to do 12 to make it a biblical number. Or we could just end it here. Oh, okay. So it's episode <laughs> 26, number 11 of the beginning of the end series. So we've been going through the story in Genesis from the very beginning. And this is really important for many reasons. And we're going to kind of hit highlights today and just uh, review a lot of the things we've been talking about over the past 10 episodes because it does relate to what on earth did Jesus come to do. So, Tim, how do we want to jump in here? Yeah, I think we'll just kind of start by giving some summary, like you said, giving some themes that we covered, but then we're also going to introduce a couple new things that'll kind of help cap it off, if you will. One of the reasons why we got into this is because of the principle of How you define a problem determines how you understand the solution. And we've all seen those bumper stickers or, you know, signs in the football games that says Jesus is the answer, you know, or Jesus is the solution. You say, well, Jesus is the answer. What's the question? (laughs) Right. You know, or if Jesus is the savior, what is he saving us from? We wanted to kind of dig down into the problem and get a better picture of that. So, Essentially, Genesis gives us this amazing gift because it shows us how God originally intended things to be. And, you know, he created us good, but he did not create us complete. We were intended to go through a developmental process of becoming more and more like God. And that process would be carried along. It would be, it would move through different stages as we consistently met with God. And we kind of see that in the narrative. God keeps showing up to meet with Adam and Eve. And the idea here is that we're living in communion with God and that God wants to meet with us. It's this ongoing relationship. You know, eventually that process, that developmental process would be completed. If you say, well, well, what does it look like if the process was complete? And that's where you kind of have to go up to the New Testament. And Jesus, in his resurrected, glorified new humanity, being fully saturated with the presence of God, his nature and his character, that's what it looks like when the process is complete. And so Paul calls Jesus the last Adam. In other words, he he crosses the finish line. This developmental process, you know, was actually supposed to go from one generation to the next. Right, So like you start off with Adam and Eve, but then you, they're going to have kids, and then you have several families, then you have a clan, then you have a tribe, and then you have multiple tribes, and then you have a nation. We don't know how long that cycle would go, but God definitely had a plan of there being multiple generations, there being a developmental process that gets completed at some point along that trajectory. You know, It would basically progressively scale out. 
The bad news, of course, is that things did not go as planned. And an enemy stepped in, most likely a defected, a spiritual being who defected from uh, God's divine counsel and tempted Eve to try and accelerate that developmental process. In other words, you can skip all the hard work. You don't have to go through the stages. You can just, it's kind of like when you're at Disney World and you get the fast pass. (laughs) He's saying, hey, I got a fast pass. Wouldn't you just like to skip up to the front? Sadly, they fell for that temptation. This is where the the problem gets introduced into the story. One of the reasons we wanted to focus on this is that the more we understand the problem, the more we're going to understand Jesus. One of the ways to talk about this problem, it's not the only way, but I think it's a helpful framework, is to talk about this as uh, arrested development. And What does that mean? Yeah, it's, it's, it's a great concept. Uh, I think it's very illuminating for, for the problem that Jesus comes to solve. Basically, arrested development is when someone who is young, who is uh, a child, you know, even an infant, an adolescent, they end up encountering something that they don't have the capacity to receive or process. It's very akin to the concept of trauma. The idea of trauma is that you experience something that you don't have the ability to um, to deal with. And it causes all kinds of problems. You split off. Things get separated. Certain parts of you develop, but then other parts of you uh, basically stay dormant. And they're immature, and they're raw, and they're having one part of you develop and another part of you not develop. That creates all kinds of problems uh, for us and the people around us. They took something into themselves they were not ready to receive, and that stopped their development process. It it didn't completely stop it, but it made it really funky. One of the themes that we tried to hit, we didn't go real deep into it, but, you know, the idea that the fall, it affected every part of their human nature. So, you know, we're, we're talking about their bodies, their mind, their heart, their emotions, their will, you know, anything that you could identify as being a part of our human nature, the fall touched every part of that. It's all connected. It, it's, it's all connected, yeah, which affects our capacity to be in relationship with one another and even affects our capacity to be in relationship with God. The enemy knew what he was doing when he wanted them to, to take that into themselves. Uh, something that they weren't ready to receive because he knew it would it would wreak all kinds of havoc in in every part of us. If the problem is comprehensive, if the problem touches every facet of our human nature, then a solution to that problem has to touch every facet of our human nature. And you know this is where we kind of get into a contrast between, what some people would call penal substitution and what I like to call, you know, developmental substitution. God's not just wanting to forgive sin. He's not just wanting to, you know, wipe our slate clean. I think we pulled this analogy or this illustration in. It's it's like a kid who goes underneath the sink and drinks Clorox. You know, the parent walks into the kitchen and sees the kid lying on the floor and there's foam coming out of her mouth. 
is like, what, what would it be like if the parent leaned over into the child's ear and said, I told you not to go under the sink, but I forgive you. And then they walk back into the living room and finish watching their favorite TV show. Terrifying. <laughs> it's like we would call the cops on that person, right? Like that's huge negligence. And then, you know, what if they were to interview that mother and say, why didn't you address the problem? And what if they said, I did, I did address the problem. I forgave him. It's like, wait, he's, he's foaming at the mouth, you know? It's like, that's not addressing the problem. Well, that's, that's a part of the problem, but that's not the whole problem. So It sounds so scary, but yet this is how we talk about what Jesus did. It's true, and, and it's one of the reasons why we tend to focus 99% of our attention on the cross. We don't hard, hardly ever talk about resurrection because we have this very one-dimensional understanding of the problem, uh, which doesn't require us to talk about the resurrection. If it's all about forgiveness, then just talk about you know the blood of Jesus and the cross and whatnot. God wants to fix the entire problem. He, he wants to address every part of our human nature. And here, here's what's kind of interesting about God is that for some reason he chooses to work within the developmental process that he created us to go through. In other words, he, he himself doesn't bypass any stages. Here's what's interesting about a developmental process if you are in a developmental process and that's the only way that you can make progress, then your choices really matter. In other words, the choices that we make, they either contribute to progress in that developmental phase or they contribute to us digressing. They either further our development or they hinder or take us further back. There's, there's kind of like a a cycle that's involved here where your choices shape your condition and then your condition in turn ends up shaping or influencing the kind of choices you make. You know, on the positive side, you could think about it kind of like joining a gym and working out. It's like the choices you make are actually going to develop and shape your, your uh, physical fitness It'll build upon each other. It'll build upon it. You'll, you'll get stronger. You'll get faster. And so your choices to work out every day shape your condition. And then your condition actually sets you up to make better choices. So you can, instead of lifting 10 pounds, you can now lift 20 pounds. The downside of when you start making bad choices is it can be kind of like an addiction. You get addicted to something, and the more you choose that thing the more it harms you and the more harm you have the more vulnerable you are to that addiction and so there's like a victorious cycle and there's a vicious cycle that goes that's inherent within a developmental process what God originally planned was that we would consistently choose to meet with him and he would father us through that developmental cycle he would support us in every single developmental stage like a good father would. And he would guide us through those choices. And those choices would then develop our human nature. And at some point, he would bring that developmental process to a completion. And we would arrive at the same place Jesus has arrived at. Nothing has changed about that 
you know, even after the fall, God created us to go through a developmental process, and we are still intended to go through a developmental process. What's interesting is that the way God starts fixing what is broken in us, how he goes about doing that is really where I think we start to get a sense of why Jesus makes so much sense. Why did Jesus have to come? It's because God actually has to work within the developmental process that he created. Basically, what Jesus does is that Jesus comes to complete the developmental process that none of us are on our own able to complete by ourselves. He becomes a human being because he wants to make contact with every facet of human nature, every part of our brokenness, every part of our dysfunction, all of our deficits. He unites himself with a corrupted human nature And he takes that human nature through that developmental process. He consistently meets with God. He consistently chooses to go the way of the Father and not the way of his flesh. And those choices that he makes throughout the course of his entire life, they're shaping him. They are literally developing a new human condition that has never been developed before. And this is one of the things that makes Jesus unique, is that he is the only human being to have fully partnered with God and gone through that whole developmental process all the way to the finish line. All the way to death and beyond. That's right. Yeah, he didn't even let the intensity, excruciating experience of the cross deter him from meeting with God, choosing God's path, and staying on that developmental process. The idea that Jesus comes and does what we could not do, that's the idea of substitution, is that we've all been trying to win a race. We've all been running in a race, and we all fall short of crossing that finish line. And what Jesus does is he comes, and he's the only one to cross the finish line. Anytime you get to this point in the conversation, it's kind of like, oh, cool, I get it. This is awesome. Uh, But what does that have to do with me? You know, because it's like Jesus ran the race, he finished it, but that's Jesus, that's not me. He was obviously awesome. (laughs) Yeah, he's amazing, yay Jesus, good for him. But what does this have to do with us? This is one of the things that we wanted to explore in further podcasts You know, Jesus doesn't just say, hey, I won the race for you. You don't have to run the race. I did it for you, so just sit back and relax. You know, what Jesus does is he he develops his human nature to a point to where he could then share his new humanity with us. Not so that we could just sit on the sidelines and cheer him on. It's so that we could get back up and continue running the race. And we can continue to make progress. We can continue to meet with God. And God can continue to father us into maturity. We can continue to allow our choices to shape our condition. And In other words, we can get out of the addiction process and we can get into the fitness club. We can start developing and becoming 
everything God created us to be. But we don't do it by ourselves. We don't do it on our own, just like Jesus didn't do it by himself. But how? Dun, dun, dun. Well, I'm so glad you asked that, Tiffany. That <laughs> sets us up for our next podcast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm sort of doing a little bit of a teaser here, is that we are going to get into that. What does that look like? And how do we talk about that in relation to salvation and atonement? Uh, because in the penal substitution model, it's primarily a, like a legal framework. It's like you've done something wrong, then God forgives you, and now everything's good. You can't say you earned it and all this kind of stuff. And the interesting thing about penal substitution is nobody ever knows what to do with those passages that talk about good works or how you're going to be judged on your works. And it's kind of like, well, we don't know what to do with that, but we do know you're saved by grace, and we'll just kind of plead the fifth on those passages. I think it's because we're sort of operating from within that legal framework. We can't make sense of those. Yeah, it's limited. Yeah, it's a, it's definitely a very limited framework. Yeah, we're wanting to explore what does it look like for us to not only participate in Jesus' new humanity, and how do we do it in the same way that Jesus did that? Because Jesus will bring us across the finish line. We will finish the race, but he also wants us to be running the race now to start making more progress and you know this is part of the good news part of the good news is that you don't have to wait until resurrection to start making progress the good news is that we can actually start experiencing and developing a new humanity now through our participation in christ through our receiving of his new humanity in us and the good news is that there is help. That's right, yeah. <laughs> but like you said, we'll get into that more and more. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Wow, Tim, just kind of laid it out there pretty uh, well. <laughs> that was very short. At, I mean, for all that you said, that was really short and just a great summary. I think this is a really important podcast episode. If someone wants to just get a big picture view of, of where we're going, mm-hmm. of what we're doing, and, mm-hmm. and why we're doing it. That's really awesome, Tim. Yeah, I appreciate you saying that. And, you know, secretly, I know what you're saying. You're thinking, well, why can't we just talk about that on the, you know, third episode? And <laughs> <laughs> Just do one big... Uh, yeah, well, like, know. can we just start with the summary? You no, know? I, I wasn't thinking that, but it does sound like something I would think. <laughs> so. Yeah. Well, it's an, it's important to kind of ground these ideas in the scriptures. Otherwise, you can find yourself just spouting off theories and ideas and, you know, oh, that's a cool way to see it, but like, where is that actually in the Bible, yes. you know? Sure. And so, you know, the more I read the scriptures, the more I see this developmental substitution, or some people like to say medical substitution, or ontological substitution. There's lots of different words out there that are trying to grapple with, how do we talk about this? Probably one of the most common words in the theological world is recapitulation. And that came up with a guy named Irenaeus in the second century, a church father. And he he got it, like he saw it in the scriptures. And he was able to articulate it for the first time in sort of a systematic way, in a very strategic way. But it's in the scriptures. 
And so what, what we want to do is we want to kind of mine that out. So if, if, if you're going to spend a lot of time studying something, if you're going to get obsessed with something, I think getting obsessed with Jesus and what he's done for us is probably a good focal point for an obsession. And that's kind of just what I've been kind of assessed, obsessed with atonement. How do we talk about Jesus? How do we talk about what he's done for us in ways that accurately reflect what the text is saying? And I, I think that's the key. Yes, and, and we found that it does change our perspective. It changes the way that we think about things, the way that we do things, the way that we explain Jesus, and it's all so very important, and it, it is definitely transformative. Really, Jesus is amazing, and that's why we're here. That's why, that's we're, why here. we're here, to have rare but extremely vital conversations about Jesus. Mm-hmm. Okay, so this is a great review and good picture of what's to come. Do you know where we're going next, Tim? Do we have that planned out for our next episode? So, you know, uh, Jesus was a Jew. He was an Israelite. And there's a whole narrative of the Israelite story, the story of the Jews. And it very much informs how you understand Jesus and what God has been up to in the world. A lot of times we think that Jesus kind of popped out of heaven out of nowhere at zero, you know, A.D. or C.E., however you say it, but he didn't. He He's a part of a people that God has been working with for the past at least 6,000 years. So, so yeah, the uh, uh, we're basically going to kind of go through some more things in Genesis, but it's going to be more of a highlight, and we're also going to highlight different ways that the enemy attacks our human nature and wants to further corrupt it because he wasn't satisfied with the garden. Like, that was just phase one. He's actually very intense with his strategy about how to corrupt human nature. So it's helpful for us to understand that because Jesus comes to address that too. Um, He comes to address the full scope of the powers that not only affect our human nature, that are in our human nature, but the powers external to our human nature that affect us. So we're we're probably going to just kind of do a little bit of a catapult up to Genesis 6. And then we'll do a little bit of a catapult up to uh, Genesis 11 and 12. And we're just going to talk about, okay, what's, what's the deal with this group of people called Israel and how does that relate to um, the story of Noah and all that? Awesome. Well, I'm so glad you guys have uh, joined us for this whole discussion on the beginning of the end. And I'm looking forward to the more conversations and walking through the story of of Israel. I hope you guys are enjoying it too. Please go subscribe on your platform of choice if you want to keep listening. And if you have any questions or if you have any comments, we will leave our podcast page link in the notes. So really appreciate you guys listening and we will catch you next time.